Hello and welcome to a flat pack history of Sweden. We're covering all of Swedish history chronologically from the Stone Ages up to the present day. I'm Elsa. And I'm Chris. Hello and ahoy. I hope everybody's ready for some pirate adventures because yes, pirates are back in the center stage once again. It's going to be a great episode that we're calling the Mecklenburg Menace. And before we get going though and start sailing one of the seven seas, it's time to do our Swedish phrase of the week. Aye, this time we have inte få en syl i vädret. Which means to not get a word in or to not get into a conversation. But Literally translated to English, it's quite weird. To not get an all in the weather, which makes not much sense at all, really. Can you help us unpack this one, Orsa? Yes, I probably can. So first, let's look at two words in the phrase. An all, or syl in Swedish, isn't a very common word. It's a type of needle usually a thicker needle that's used in several professions and handicrafts to, well, make holes in things. The word vädret means the weather, but it can also mean up in the air, uppe i vädret, like literally up where the weather is. And that's the meaning it has in this phrase. So the phrase translates to to not get an all up in the air. Okay, that makes a bit more sense, but uh, what's the reasoning behind the phrase? The reasoning behind the phrase is that the conversation is so packed, other people are talking so much, that you're not able to get in and make a hole with your all. You don't get a word in, we might say in English, but in Swedish we'd say you don't get your all in, in the air. Okay, well, that actually does make kind of sense. Not being able to get in with your little jabby needle and make a hole because it's so busy. That makes sense. I kind of don't see the connection between the word and the meaning, but nonetheless, it's still a quite common phrase to use in everyday Swedish, I'd say. Okay, I'll have to keep my ear out for it. (laughs) Keep my ear to the ground. So from that, it's time to move on to the situation in Sweden and mainly in Stockholm, actually. We saw last time how Margareta came to an agreement with the Swedish nobles opposed to King Albert and sent her troops into the country to take it from the mercurial Mecklenburg monarch. It all ended rather quickly, as Albert and his son were captured in the very first battle of the war after one of Albert's main knights ran away during his very first cavalry charge. Soon after, every city and town in Sweden was in Margareta's hands, apart from Stockholm. The island city with its seemingly impenetrable walls was not ready to surrender just yet. Or at least most of the city wasn't ready to surrender. The Swedish traders and citizens were ready to surrender, but the majority of the city, the German merchants who made up so much of the city, they most certainly were not. They harassed, beat up, and eventually murdered the Swedish members of the city council, and many more, and exiling those they couldn't be bothered to kill. That's one way of ensuring whoever is left in the city is loyal to you. This band of thugs, known as the Hood Brethren, kept terrorising those who remained. And if you thought that was bad, just wait for who else is going to fight on Albert's side from now on. 
because yes, we saw how Mecklenburg had begun to form a pirate fleet to help supply the besieged city of Stockholm, ordering Rostock and Wiesmar to open up their harbours to all the enemies of Denmark who wanted to start plundering the Baltic Sea. The Hanseatic League weren't too pleased with this development, and of course, neither was Margarete. This was where we left it last time, and now it's time to see how effective this ragtag bunch of buccaneers is going to be in helping keep Stockholm as the lone Mecklenburg outpost on Swedish soil. Now before we do a bit of a deep dive on the piracy that's about to start once again in this period, it's good to have a bit of a reminder about the Baltic Sea and the actual physical geography of the area. Yes, this piracy is going to be based all around the Baltic Sea, whereas a lot of the Danish-funded piracy from Margareta's regency was in and around the Denmark and the Skorna area, but this time it's going to be much wider. And one key thing to remember is the nature of the Baltic Sea and the weather and seasons. The high salt content of the Baltic and the bitterly cold winds meant that ice formed quickly and made the sea essentially non-sailable for three to four months of the year over the winter in this time period. The sea is also prone to storms and still is. This meant that in the Middle Ages, all seafaring was often just completely cancelled from mid-December up until March or April. Yeah, it was pretty rough out there, and like you said, still is. We once got stuck on the Danish island of Bornholm because a storm cancelled the last ferry back to Sweden, so it's definitely still a problem, even with modern technology and seafaring skills. Nonetheless, even if it was frozen for a lot of the winter, the Baltic Sea was vital for North European trade, not least because of the many rivers that run both from the north and the south into the sea, connecting the region to Middle Europe and Russia. Where the rivers meet the sea, trading places grew to towns, We've seen that that is kind of the only reason why places like Visby, Kalmar and Stockholm grew to what they are now as we approach the 1400s. And so it makes sense. If you want to stop trade to and from Sweden and the surrounding countries, the best way is to try and stop sea travel. And there was a lot of trade going on with the surrounding countries, duchies and territories too. We've seen how towns like Hamburg in the west and Riga or Novgorod in the east and most towns on the coast in between are members of the Hanseatic League now. In fact, we're right now at the very high point of the League and its powers. However, by the end of the 1300s, we'll see how the Baltic Sea will become, as Danish professor and former director of the Danish National Museum, Olaf Olsen, put it, the Sea of Discord, which sounds like an internet message board, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get grim. But at first, these pirates aren't much more than a blockade running force. They start attempting to resupply Stockholm with a few raids against Danish shipping along the way, but it's quite softly, softly at first. But once the winter ice started to melt in 1391, conditions were ripe, politically and on the seas, for the pirate scourge to really take hold. The Hansa cities in Mecklenburg, Wismar and Rostock formally go to war with Denmark and join the war. Leading the war effort is Albert's nephew, Duke John, who will personally get involved in a lot of the action to come. 
having these two major ports on their side will greatly help the pirates. After all, finding safe ports is usually the biggest problem for any pirate ship, so these pirates have got this handed to them right from the off. The pirates also get given letters of support from the Duke and the hands of representatives of Rostock and Wiesmar, so they could at least claim some kind of perverse justification. I'm sure they worked great. I mean, you can imagine the interaction. Excuse me, Captain Orfson, I'm here to raid your cargo. No, go home. But I've got a letter from the Duke of Mecklenburg saying it's okay. Oh, oh, okay. Here's the key. Excellent acting. Oh. <laughs> but yes, one other advantage the pirates had, and I guess a lot of pirates had had over time, is the draw the life had for the unfortunate of society. The poor, damned, and lost of northern Germany flocked to Mecklenburg, swelling the ranks of this new fleet. Of course, professional sailors were also needed, and they were supplied by these ports, as were supplies and ships, and so it gets off to a quick start. They were helped from the fact that, as we know, the other Hansa towns weren't exactly thrilled to learn of Mecklenburg's plans to start raiding the sea, so trade with Mecklenburg dropped off, and so the merchant fleet, what are they going to do? Yeah, there was less need for Mecklenburg's merchant fleet, so why not use those ships and crews for pirating? Simple. Much better than having a lot of bored sailors roaming around your ports. Plus, it helped that those higher up the food chain were offered large shares of the loot as a thank you for providing ships, supplies, and crew to the task. And, like any pirate fleet, there were rivalries, but also friendships. Various captains teamed up and ventured out in packs, hunting merchantmen like wolf hunting their prey. It sounds pretty grim, but Duke John did have one major strategic goal on top of just disrupting the sea and annoying Margareta. That was, of course, resupplying Stockholm and keeping his small foothold on Swedish soil in the game. And so that was their first major task. They set sail to Stockholm with a huge fleet to try and resupply the German rebels there. And off they went. Duke John led this fleet himself and came to the aid of the beleaguered city. The Danish blockade was smashed wide open and soon food, equipment and men poured off these pirate ships and into the city. You can imagine the jubilation on the city walls from the German merchants as these Allied ships arrived in August of 1391. The city had been the only German-controlled city in Sweden for over a year and subjected to a blockade for a long time. And these supplies were greatly needed. This first mission led to the pirate gang getting an actual name rather than just the pirates. They became known as the Victual Brothers, or Vitalian Brethren, which is Vitalian Brüder in German, or Vitaliebröderna in Swedish. The German historian Dirk Meyer explains the name in his great book, Seafarers, Merchants and Pirates in the Middle Ages, which we recently got for this period of the podcast. He says... During the Hundred Years' War, the people who provisioned the army were called Vitaliers. When Mecklenburg was at war with Denmark, the Dukes of Mecklenburg hired pirates, known as the Vitaliebruder, whose job was to provide the supply of food for the city of Stockholm under siege by the Danes. And so that's the name. They got this name from people who were used to be providing food to armies. 
but they soon started focusing on actual piracy now that their first major delivery was complete. Pirates from these cities down in Germany plundered Bonholm in the summer of 1391, and the same summer they captured ships that were based at Visby, even though Visby wasn't really involved one way or another with Margareta's war against Mecklenburg. Yeah, I mean, it's all kicking off now. After the summer turns to autumn, tempers cool briefly and a new attempt at a negotiated peace was started at Nyköping in Sweden. However, nothing came of it and the group agreed to meet again the following summer. At the same time, in October, everyone's favorite religious figure, Begitta, became Saint Begitta when she was canonized in Rome. This is just a brief reminder that the papacy is now back in Rome and remained there, thanks in part to all of Begitta's nagging over the years. Yeah, it's nice to see the papacy's back. But yes, peace negotiations had broken down and the war was still on. Once again, almost as soon as the ice of the following winter thawed, the pirates got their first major prize of 1392. In the spring of that year, they attacked the ship of Bishop Thord of Strengness and carried him away as a prisoner to the castle up in Stockholm. So now they're using the city as a giant prison as well. The bishop was ordered to be kept prisoner there by Duke John, and this caused outrage amongst the clergy and the rest of the country. An angry report was sent to Rome that said that the bishop sits with chains around his neck and feet. He was obviously a valuable negotiating piece, and he wasn't released until 18 months later when the Archbishop of Uppsala excommunicated the pirates and put Stockholm under interdict. Uh, it was not very fun for the bishop. But then it was time for the two warring parties to meet up once again. This time it was in Vordingboy's castle and Margrethe would attend in person, along with Duke John. King Albert was also dragged along to the meeting from his prison at the castle Lindholmen. Margrethe clearly had the upper hand and demanded several concessions for the release of Albert. Top of the list was obviously the surrender of Stockholm and the formal handing over of the king's estates in Sweden. He also had to promise never to attack Denmark, Norway or Sweden again, if Margarete would also promise not to prosecute his supporters and hand over 10,000 marks so he could live a decent life. These are pretty tough conditions on both sides, but it was mainly too tough on Mecklenburg for them to accept. Negotiations broke down once more and the piracy continued. It wasn't always going to be a one-sided fight on the seas, though. There's one story about how a peaceful trading ship from Stralsund was attacked, and Vivian Etting describes this battle. This time, after a long battle, the merchants managed to overpower the pirates, and more than a hundred were taken prisoner. Later, it was said that they were put into empty herring barrels, and after holes had been cut off in the lids for their heads, the barrels were nailed down. Then the barrels were stacked on top of each other, and the ship sailed back to Stralsund. On arrival, the pirates were taken to the place of execution and beheaded. Well, I, it's a fun image, these makeshift one-person prisons of the empty herring kegs, you know, just with their heads sticking up. I must stink, too, of herring. <laughs> yeah. Not the nicest of fish at the best of times. <laughs> True. 
Well, not true that herring isn't the nicest fish. It's an it's the best fish ever, but not nice to be imprisoned in a herring cake. No, and we went past the herring cafe in uh, Stockholm last night. Which we? is so totally where you're taking me for the next meal you're treating me to. Luckily, it says on the window, more than just herring. So hopefully they have at least one other thing so I can not starve. I love herring. <laughs> Back to the story of the pirates and the merchants. I don't blame the merchants. These pirates are causing a lot of mayhem across the seas. Especially as we have another example of another group of merchants from Stralsund who were set upon by pirates despite their city having close relations to Rostock and Wismar. 32 merchants were attacked on their way back from the market at Drager and had their herring, cloth and money stolen. A loss of about 5,350 marks. Yeah, I'd be pretty angry at that too. And so it's not a surprise that when the merchants do get to capture some of these pirates, they're killed in quite brutal ways. The standard reply from Rostock at this time is that they had nothing to do with the pirates. They were individual crews and ships acting on their own accord. They just happened to come into their port every now and then. It might be true for the odd ship that goes out and just randomly starts attacking people, but the general pattern is certainly of Mecklenburg setting out these ships and crewing them and ordering them to go and make the Orison Strait and other passages as unsafe as possible for merchants. Their political problem, though, was that the native Danish ships are often quite small ships with unimportant or cheap cargo. So if something's just going from Skorna to Copenhagen, it's not really going to have much amazing stuff in it, and they're pretty small and boring. It was the Hansa ships that carried larger and much more valuable cargo. If these were heading to or from Denmark, Norway or Sweden and had been trading with Margareta, well, those are the ships that Mecklenburg said are fair game for these pirates. It's quite hard to tell how many ships were pirated, but it was a lot. Dutch towns sent 19 angry letters to Mecklenburg between January 1393 and 1395, stating that a ship had been attacked or captured. They also announced that any Dutch ships going to the Baltic Sea were doing so at their own risk. And this was just one nationality, one not even anywhere near the Baltic Sea, so the problem was big. 1393 seems to be the year where the consequences started spreading far beyond the Baltic. It was when the Dutch started getting annoyed and countries were getting dragged into this situation. Indeed, April 1393 saw the English King Richard II offer three fully manned and armed naval ships for the aid and defence of Margareta's land, as he wanted to confirm his friendship with his dear sister, the Queen of Norway, Sweden and Denmark. Obviously he wasn't Margareta's brother, but they were becoming close. A Danish delegate called Sven Storfold was given permission to lead these ships back to Danish waters and command them. But they were too late to do anything about the next major pirate success story. Lübeck wrote to the other Hansa towns a month before this new fleet arrived to say that the situation at sea was so dire that the Hansa needed to get together and act as one to stop this. 
The first decision was that no ship should go through the Øresund Strait alone, but rather in fleets of at least 10 ships at a time. One large fleet did sail through the Øresund at this time, but unfortunately, it was a pirate one. (laughs) At Easter, 18 ships from Wismar attacked Bergen, Yeah, Bergen on the far western coast of Norway. This attack on a faraway target was so bold, it was mentioned in an Icelandic chronicle. It relates how they targeted the town for eight days, burned the churches, and made the local bishop and lawman swear allegiance to King Albert. Yeah, so it's pretty obvious that they're Mecklenburg-funded pirates then if they're trying to force people to swear allegiance to King Albert. They're not just taking stuff for fun. It's a really bold action. English tradesmen in Bergen wrote back home to say that 21 of their houses were burnt down, showing that even the Hansa-affiliated areas of the port were attacked too. The Mecklenburgers tried to leave some people behind to keep control of the city, but they soon realised that they would need to leave, and soon after the raid, the city, or what was left of it, was quickly back in Margareta's control. But the consequences of this raid would be widespread. The pirates were now emboldened and felt that they were at their high point of success, ambition and reach. And so at a large meeting of the Hansa Council in Lübeck that July, the Hansa declared that they wouldn't take part in that year's Skorner herring market. It seemed to be too dangerous, they wouldn't be able to travel there and back safely enough. So the pirates had achieved a major goal, significantly damaging the Danish economy. We know how important these markets are to the Danish coffers, so by doing this, the Danes would be losing a lot of money. Olaf Olsen describes the chaos created by the decision to stop trading at the herring market. The herring trade was so ingrained and important that not taking part led to confusion and despair for the ships, crews and traders all around the Baltics. The decision also came in the middle of the season, leading to even more confusion, broken trade, meaning you had something to bring but nothing to bring back, and even empty barrels being thrown into the sea, all whilst these ships were being chased by pirates. Yeah, wow, it's not a happy time for being a merchant. I think we should just, why was herring, this little fish, so important, and why do I love it so much? It still is a staple of Nordic cuisine, and back then it was pretty much all of what they ate. It's like the rice market or the potato market. Because it's so easy to transport in these barrels, and and if it goes off, that actually makes it taste a bit better for some people, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) It can be eaten eaten fresh or, or gone off. The varieties are endless. No, but and there was plenty of herring in the Baltic Sea, so it, it was an accessible food item. Somewhat perversely, these pirates were now almost too successful because they were scaring people away from the sea, and that meant there was now less people on the sea for them to attack and raid. And perhaps the pirates started recognising this, as the Lübeck chronicle Ray Marcoc, writing about a hundred years later, says how sometimes pirate crews were relatively kind to the merchants they caught, releasing them back at ports so they could go and join another ship or putting them ashore 
shore whenever they went by land. And that meant that these merchants, whilst obviously a bit scared, could go start trading again instead of just being killed and not having any chance to trade and be raided again in the future. And so the pirates were also coming under a bit of political pressure as Mecklenburg wanted them to focus on bringing goods and weapons to Stockholm and not spend as much time on random pirate attacks on the traders of the Baltic. Yeah, you can see how the pirates are definitely drifting away from their original purpose, which was helping Stockholm, and Mecklenburg is having less control over their direction. I guess that's the problem when you employ pirates to do your political bidding or your political job for you. You know, pirates are going to want a pirate. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what it said on pirates their ships. Gonna pirate. Pirates going to pirate. Pirates going to pirate. 1393 saw more negotiations between Margareta and Mecklenburg. As always, though, there was a debate over the conditions of King Albert's release. It was actually the Hansa who were the mediators during these negotiations, and they came up with a relatively sensible solution. Indeed, the League suggested a compromise. King Albert would be released for two to three years, kind of on a bail. And for this bail period, Stockholm would be handed over as security to four people approved by both sides. We've seen this tactic being suggested previously. If Queen Margareta and King Albert then failed to reach a final agreement about what to do next over these three years, King Albert would be taken back to prison. And if he didn't want to go back to prison or refuse, that meant Margareta would get Stockholm. Sounds like a really good idea, actually, forcing them to make an actual decision. We know that the idea was actually quite liked by both sides, but there was a problem. Nobody could agree on who the four people to run Stockholm during this interval period should be. Even the Hansa couldn't come up with four names that were acceptable to everyone. And so, frustratingly, the meeting ended with no real agreement, but they would come back after Christmas. Yes, and the Hansa would keep this idea of a transition period saved in their notebook for next time. But when it came round to Christmas, though, and for the next meeting, Margareta cancelled the meeting and chose to reconvene and focus all of her energy on the conquest of Stockholm. And so the war is back on, although it sort of hasn't ever really been off. <laughs> it's just been a few failed peace attempts. Exactly. But before we continue, we have to mention that, of course, everyday life was still continuing in the Scandinavian countries at this point, despite the war and piracy. One example of this is that Vodstena Abbey makes 6,000 silver marks in this new year of 1394 through issuing indulgence letters. So the country is still very much in business in every sense of the word, but it's the trade and the international connections that are taking a bit of a hit because of this battle of the wills over piracy and over Stockholm. Now, we've seen a bit of a divergence between the pirates and the leadership of Mecklenburg, who wanted more of a focus on the defense of Stockholm, whereas the pirates wanted to pirate. Though Mecklenburg seemed to gather enough forces to concentrate on the capital, as eight heavily supplied ships set sail for Stockholm in the beginning of 1394. 
The situation must have been quite desperate as they went very early in the year and the ice was very much still a problem for the ships. So much a problem, in fact, that they got stuck. All eight ships got trapped in the ice by the island of Dalaga near the entrance of Stockholm Harbour to the south of the city. Word quickly spread that these ships were stuck and vulnerable. The crews obviously knew this too, so during the night they crossed to the shore over the ice where they cut down many trees to use as a defensive wall around the ships that were stuck. Quite a clever idea, and the idea was even better as they started to pour water onto these trees so they gained a smooth, frozen, icy surface which would be impossible to climb. So they were basically making an ice wall, which is very clever indeed. To make matters worse for any potential attacking force, they also made the ice nearby weaker somehow, presumably by cutting slits into it or digging holes of some sort. And of course, the nearby Danes, still continuing the siege of Stockholm, couldn't resist such a tempting target, so they set out to attack the ships. Unfortunately for the Danes, the ice repeats a trick from exactly 100 years previously when the Novgorodians attacked Swedish forces at V-Boy Castle in 1294. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, the ice literally broke up and was blown away when the Novgorodians were sieging the castle, right? The army just floated away as the Swedes looked on. Uh, I think we even called that episode Gone with the Wind in honour of that exact story. And the same thing, sort of, but more dramatically, happens here. The Danes bring up some catapults because they know that the Mecklenburgers have built this wall of icy trees around their ships, and so they think, okay, we'll have to attack them with catapults. But either way, these catapults were brought forward on the ice towards the ships. But apparently the soldiers didn't check the ice properly, as once they were all gathered together on the weakened ice, the ice broke and they all fell into the freezing water where the Danish soldiers drowned. The worst part of this story is that the pirates then taunted the drowning Danes by shouting kiss kiss kiss, which is uh, apparently what you say to cats in Sweden. Yeah, when you want a cat to, to come to you, or any animal, really, you go... Kss, 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 kss. So they were doing that to make them sound like they were drowning cats, um, which is not very nice at all. No, that's not very nice at all. It wasn't long until the thaw arrived and the Danish ships, with their valuable goods, were able to break free from the icy prison and sail into Stockholm unopposed. So another victory for Mecklenburg and the pirates. Unsurprisingly, Margareta is getting annoyed that these pirates can just keep slipping into Stockholm and feed the city. It has been a series of failures that have led up to this point, and whatever they try, it doesn't work. So Margareta goes back to something she has been good at in the past, and also follows the classic advice, if you can't beat them, join them. That means pirates and Danish pirates this time. It's going to be some pirate-on-pirate pirate action. What everybody wants. As we know, Margaret has funded and supported pirates during her regency period in the previous decade, and so now she's going to try and start it again, and beat the pirates at their own game. 
Margareta started funding her own fleet to pursue her enemies on the high seas. Not necessarily engaging in naval combat against the pirates directly, unfortunately also, but it was more about targeting Mecklenburg shipping and travel in and out of the pirate posts in northern Germany. Although, of course, once you let loose ships on the sea with orders to target valuable shipping of the enemy, it can be hard to identify who you are meaning to raid. So it wasn't long before Hansa ships were plundered, their ship's cargo get being whisked off to Denmark. We're back to this old concept from about five minutes ago that pirates are going to pirate. And understandably, the League weren't happy about a new pirate fleet joining the fray. You can imagine the mayor of Lübeck getting the news that Danish pirates are now attacking his ships too, as well as the Mecklenburgs, when he said, This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now, because Margareta is an experienced pirate queen, and this time it's quite obvious she is getting involved, even though she tries to not be very blatant, she tries to deny it when people came to her court demanding compensation, but it didn't last long until the League began to threaten war unless they were compensated for their losses at sea. There ended up being some drawn-out negotiations, including involving the Archbishop of Lund, who had claimed all the shipwrecks off the island of Bornholm for some reason that came with his job. Once more, there were preliminary negotiations between Mecklenburg and Denmark, but they didn't exactly end well. Uh, The chronicler Dietmar tells us that in these words. In a public house were assembled both Germans and Danes, who started to quarrel, at first with words but later with blows, and dreadful murder was committed. A mayor from Stralsund named Gregor Sverting ran up to the queen at the castle in an attempt to secure a truce. However, on his way he met an angry Dane with a sword, who struck the mayor through his head so that he immediately died. This was deplored by many good people. Yeah, I I think many good people deplore cutting people's head off. I I include myself as one of those good people who deplore that. Yeah, you can just imagine those, like the police bodyguards now. If you see some crazy guy running towards the king or the queen in the modern day, like, the police are going to do something about it. And that's kind of what happened here. This Dane was just like, off with his head! Nobody runs and grabs the queen. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, overall, there was nothing agreed regarding the wider Mecklenburg-Denmark question once more. Probably because this guy got his head cut off. (laughs) That's going to sour relations quite quickly. Also, they were meeting in a bar. I'm not sure I like the sound of this. Nevertheless, the League and Denmark did manage to put aside their differences. Margarete would stop pirating the Baltic Sea and the Hansa would not declare war on Denmark. In fact, Margarete would now join forces with the Hansa, who would build their own fleet to tackle Mecklenburg and the pirates. Yeah, Margareta's second reign as Pirate Queen didn't last very long. It was, it was quite clearly a pretty bad idea. But together, a fleet of 36 pirate hunting ships was to be funded, and they were going to be used to mainly protect Hansa ships when travelling through the Urusen Strait. This was needed as a letter from Lübeck to the city council of Riga said there were about 300 ships serving the Victual Brothers at this point. It's a huge armada that they have. 
This Hansa peace fleet that's being created was joined by ships from as far away as Flanders and England. Margareta joining was another good PR move from her side, who would need the support from the Hansa if there were going to be more complex negotiations with them as the mediators over the future of King Albert. From the Hansa's perspective, it was tough to side so openly with Margareta, as we know that they have never really wanted a united Scandinavia to stand against them in economic matters. It was always better for them if Norway, Sweden and Denmark were all separate and preferably fighting each other militarily and economically and not focusing on joining and dominating the Baltic Sea together. However, they really did want back safe access to the Skåne herring market, so there was something in this for everyone. Nonetheless, these differences were put to one side, and it seems like the fleet managed to achieve some success. Whilst there was no crushing blow, it appeared that this might be the beginning of the end for the pirates. Now that Margareta was increasing her political power and seas were getting safer, she could hopefully deal with the peace negotiations with Mecklenburg from a stronger position. After all, if there was peace with Mecklenburg, then there would be no need for the Victual brothers to exist. The Stockholm problem would have been solved, which was the main cause of this problem in the first place. And so it was in this spirit that the two sides decide to sit down one more time. It's getting quite repetitive, so I think this is the third or the fourth time that they're trying to solve this problem. But the pirates, especially the ones who aren't too fussed about what goes on between Denmark and Mecklenburg, they realise that the, when the war ends, so will their legitimacy. The ports of Rostock and Wismar and elsewhere will no longer be safe ports for them, so they need to find a replacement if they want to keep pirating, which they want to do, because, remember? Pirates gonna pirate. (laughs) Gotland was very suitable for their purposes, being the centre of all trade from east to west and north to south. And under the command of Duke John of Mecklenburg, a large fleet conquered the city of Visby just before the two sides were sitting down to finally put an end to the war. The rest of Gotland remained under Swedish-Danish control, but the city was now in enemy hands, just like Stockholm. Yeah, wow, it's just one quick roll of the dice before the peace negotiations start. You can imagine they're just walking in. It's like, oh, can we start in 10 minutes? I'm just getting this phone call. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting that it's Duke John that is doing this, even though a lot of the pirates are becoming more independent. So when like the push comes to shove, Mecklenburg do seem to be able to gather enough pirates to listen to them and do what they need to do. But yes, the two sides sit down once more, and the Hansa are once again leading the talks. King Albert and his son have now been prisoners for five and a half years, but Stockholm is still stubbornly in Mecklenburg control. Despite this control of the one city, Mecklenburg rule of Sweden was never going to return, though. That must have been pretty obvious to everyone, and was never really under discussion. Negotiations, as usual, were focused on the conditions for Albert's release, plus the nature of the return of Stockholm to Sweden. Margareta, of course, wanted an official abdication or admission of surrender from Albert, who was still trying to call himself King of Sweden from his prison cell, even though nobody took him seriously. 
Interestingly, negotiations started at Falstobu, but eventually the Hansa realized that Albert himself needed to be present. So the group decamped and moved on to Lindholmen Castle, where Albert was still being kept under lock and key. This time, things go quite well. A deal is soon reached. Perhaps everyone was just tired of all the false starts. Yeah, you can imagine so. And so now we're going to rattle through the terms of the deal, and and these were what they were. Albert and his son are to be released. Mecklenburg promises to hand over Stockholm to Margareta after a three-year transition period. Stockholm would be administered by seven Hansa towns for this three-year transition period. After the three years, Albert could pay 60,000 marks as bail and ensure that there would be no war over Stockholm for at least one year. If he didn't pay, he and his son would be returned to prison, or he could just choose to give Stockholm to Margareta for eternity. Gotland was to be left as it was at the time for three years, so that's Mecklenburg keeping Visby and Margareta the countryside. And the Mecklenburg sponsoring of this pirate campaign is to end. Okay, that sounds pretty good. Everything was signed and agreed on. Stockholm was handed over to the Hanseatic League on the 31st of August, and Albert and his son were handed over to the Hansa delegates in Helsingborg at the end of September, their years in captivity finally over. But perhaps it was too much to think that every single pirate ship would go back to doing whatever they were doing before all this drama began. Indeed, some no doubt gave up the life of crime and pirating, moving ashore and maybe retiring off tasty profits they had uh, been making or taking on the seas. Others surely returned to being traders and sailors, moving back to a life on the sea, but a peaceful one. By autumn of 1395, there were reports trickling in of continued piracy in the Baltic Sea. Some reports even spoke of the Victual brothers gathering in Viboy, all the way over in the Bay of Finland. The Hansa and the German order in Livonia write to complain to Margareta that Swedish noblemen have been turning a blind eye to them using the ports. This is just a bit confusing all round, and like always, allegiances seem to be changing all over the place. Some rumours even said that the Queen herself had actually been secretly supporting the Victual Brothers in this period, but that's never really been confirmed. It did seem like the Bay of Finland was a good place for these remnant pirates to try and hide out, since that was a sparsely populated area. But we'll look into that in the future, as whilst this does continue, it's no longer a major geopolitical problem and it's not interrupting or causing grand wars, but there are a few pirates still out there somewhere. Uh, And instead, for now, let's just take a moment to reflect on Margareta's success. She is now the undisputed ruler of Denmark, Norway and Sweden. This is the first time this has ever happened and she is seemingly all-powerful. Now the neighborhood is secure and Duke Albert is booted out of the country, she can look forward to receiving full control of Stockholm in a few years time and focusing on just building her political situation. 
There seems to be almost nothing to stand in her way. It is especially pleasing to see that it was a woman who managed this seemingly unthinkable achievement. These three countries have been involved in so many wars for about 450 years or so, and always changing sides, always fighting against each other, assassinating rulers and butchering thousands of men on the battlefield. The fact that the first person to rise up and claw their way to the top of this pile of mess of Scandinavian politics, the fact that that is a woman is a remarkable thing. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen like all these uh, times we've seen queens appear in the story. They maybe like founded an abbey or they've been a regent for a while, but she's she's the leader of three countries and she's been accepted by essentially everyone in these countries. And she's actually a bit of a spoiler. She's just getting started. She's packed in a couple of lifetimes of deeds and achievements already, but now she's going to head onwards as the undisputed ruler of these three kingdoms. They will each have their own goals and Names, laws and noblemen and politics, but one ruler in this union of three crowns. It's all very informal at the moment, but we'll see how this union will develop and become more formal. We'll have to start looking at that next time around. But I can promise one thing, and it's going to be really fun, and uh, Margareta is such an interesting person. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it. But that's where we'll leave it for this time. There is another family tree out there for this episode when you can keep up on what's all uh, happening down in Mecklenburg with all the changes and who's Duke and who's not Duke. And uh, you can see that on our website, aflatpackhistoryofsweden.com, where you can also find all of our phrases, sources, maps, and episode pictures and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so do check that out. If you're enjoying the episodes, please do leave a review on whichever platform you're listening to us on. And if you want to get in touch, you'll find us on Facebook or Twitter, or you can email using flatpackhistorysweden at gmail.com. Until next time, it's goodbye from us. Hey, doll.